0: Jane Strauss. Welcome to my Dear Jane podcast, where I respond to questions asked by you, my listeners and clients. To ask a question and read my answers, please visit www.stopenduring.com. As I'm recording this podcast, it's been a little bit over two years since Katrina hit New Orleans. This is one of those times that I wish I were a poet, even just a decent one, because New Orleans deserves to be described with much more powerful imagery than I can offer. I took the six-day trip there, not knowing what to expect. I had never been to the city or even to the south. Whenever I mentioned that I would be going to New Orleans, people who had been there before Katrina would get a gleam in their eyes and an instant smile would spread across their faces, so I knew that New Orleans was special. What I didn't know was that it would steal my heart. I arrived in New Orleans at midnight on a balmy evening. Sequestered a number of miles from the city in a motel close to the airport. I had no hint of what I would soon witness. I could have been anywhere in the US. I thought, this isn't so bad. Maybe the recovery work is finally in full swing. Janet, my contact and now friend who lured me to New Orleans, picked me up the next morning and drove me to her lovely jewelry store on Magazine Street part of what is known as the sliver on the river because it is above sea level. Everything looked fine to my untrained eye. Just wait until we tour later, you'll see, Janet warned amicably. Katrina did a lot of damage here, but the levee breaks didn't affect us, she said. She had to work for a while, so I decided to stroll down Magazine Street with its beautiful architecture and upscale cute shops that reminded me of Carmel, a picturesque, pricey seaside town in California. I took my video camera just in case I saw something. As I left the store, Janet said, close the door behind you and be careful out there. I was struck by that statement because it was a sunny Friday afternoon, but I simply shrugged my shoulders and closed the door as requested, hearing the lock click shut behind me. I walked next door to a rug gallery and introduced myself as Janet's friend to Michael, a longtime employee and native of New Orleans. I asked him to tell me about his experience of Katrina as I recorded him with my video camera. He told me that his house was damaged but livable. However, his relatives didn't fare as well. For months, there were 14 people living in his home. It was crowded not just physically but emotionally. The fallout was that he and his sister were now estranged and his wife was refusing to spend Thanksgiving with his sister. He didn't know what he was going to do. He kept a brave smile as he told me about his hardships, but just underneath his sadness was all too apparent. After leaving the rug shop, I turned the corner and was struck by the contrast of what I saw. Houses boarded up with black spray-painted X's, symbols or numbers in each quadrant of the X. On one house was painted a date in one quadrant and the words dead dog in another. I continued to walk, noticing very few cars and no other pedestrians. The road was uneven with potholes. Anywhere else these serious dips and cracks would have been surrounded with gates and slagged with warnings for motorists to go around. When I returned to Janet's store, I had to knock on the door to be buzzed in. ''How do you get customers this way?'' I asked naively. Janet stopped her work and looked up at me and said, ''We don't. Tourists don't come here anymore. They don't want to know how bad things are, how dangerous it is here. So they hang out in the French Quarter where the doors to shops stay open and private security patrols the area. We've had to pay for private security too. Janet's face was getting paler as she educated me. She also looked embarrassed somehow, not for herself, I realized, but for the city she loves. The lawlessness and violence that permeate the city, a result of unchecked poverty, lack of resources, and sheer governmental neglect reminds me that our civility is only as deep as our fail-safe mechanisms that are in place before disaster strikes. Janet took me to a nearby colorful and eccentric cafe called Winnie's. It looked well-loved but had a for sale sign on the door, a sad reminder of the economic hardship still driving the middle class out of New Orleans. After ordering what turned out to be the best portobello mushroom and cheese sandwich I've ever tasted, I turned on my video camera and started asking questions. Winnie, a flamboyant native, perhaps in his late 40s, was ready to talk. He gave a steady stream of examples of hardship, frustration, and graft. It took him three days to get the fire department to shut off a leaking hydrant across the street. When he had called his local fire station, he heard a recording that the number was now private. A private number for a local fire station? What if you had an emergency, I asked. He laughed bitterly and said, You're on your own, darling. Winnie spoke into the camera about the financial burdens. He and his partner David had to clean up their restaurant alone after Katrina, including dragging their refrigerator and freezer onto the street and dumping all their food. The storm water had gotten inside, causing maggot growth and a stench that was unbearable. This was the same story for hundreds of thousands of citizens. At one point, New Orleans had 400,000 refrigerators littering the streets, waiting to be hauled off by authorities, who would drain the Freon from them and send them to the dump. Lined up end to end, the appliances would have stretched from New Orleans to Chicago, or so I'm told. David, who had been too shy to be filmed earlier, now chimed in about needing to get a new roof like everyone else in the city. It would have cost $2,500 before Katrina, he said. Now the contractors wanted $12,000. Why? Because they could. And just how would we pay for that with no customers, no business, and no water for three months? And now the utility company wants us to make up for its losses. Our electric bill is so high we can't keep our doors open. I asked them both, still recording their responses, what can people outside of New Orleans do to help? What should we know? They both just shook their heads, just as Michael in the rug shop had. I asked these same questions of more than a dozen people and got the same blank stare. After a few more days in New Orleans, I came to understand that look. Everyone, to a great extent, felt ignored, forgotten, and invisible. Many had been abandoned by their own families. All of them were abandoned by the government. We're on our own here was a common refrain. The question they all asked themselves is, am I a fool for staying? Until I toured the city later that day and the next, including the infamous Ninth Ward, I didn't understand how bad things still were. The media don't keep New Orleans in the headlines, so our attention goes elsewhere. It shouldn't. That afternoon and the next day, I traveled for hours through neighborhoods and saw mile after mile of boarded-up buildings, cement slabs where houses used to be, weeds, broken levees, piles of debris, and an occasional front step where a house once stood. No cars, no kids playing, no signs of life. I could hear the wind where I should have heard voices. New Orleans looks like a war zone, today, still. Katrina was an equal opportunity disaster, but the aftermath is not. The ones who had insurance could afford to leave or rebuild. The middle class are less struggling to salvage their livelihoods and homes. The poor are camped out in front of City Hall or in FEMA trailers or in homes with no running water or ele- electricity to this day. Some have received money for low-income housing, but there is no low-income housing in New Orleans. There are no city services, no infrastructure. One can drive for miles without seeing an open grocery store, gas station, hospital or fire station and real estate prices have escalated as a result of low supply and high demand, forcing a continuing exodus, which hurts the remaining shopkeepers and tax base. The mayor of New Orleans, while pleading for people to return, has moved his own family to Atlanta. As with a war, the hardest hit are the children, particularly poor children. The new vice principal of a local elementary school called me after I returned from my trip. She had heard that I was offering to donate 150 copies of my blue book of grammar and punctuation, and she was hoping they were still available. She said, You don't know what it's like for these kids, Jane. They're just starting now to talk about what happened. Most of them were at the Superdome. Many of them don't live with either parent anymore. They're living with neighbors, cousins, grandparents, and the adults in their lives are depressed. We're all depressed. The kids are too. I want them, I want to help them, but how? No one is coming here to tell us what to do for them and their families. We've got to do something. I wanted your books because maybe it would help them to write about their trauma. Do you think that's a good idea? Before I could answer, Kim, the vice principal, apologized by saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be talking your ear off. Yes, yes, you should, I said quickly, trying to reassure her as I felt my own helplessness creep up. It sounds like you need mental health professionals. Maybe I can get some folks to you. Kim sighed with momentary relief at just the idea. That would be great. That would be wonderful. Kim's appreciation for any small act of kindness was typical of my experience while in New Orleans. I counseled individuals anywhere I was asked to go. Garages, cafes, houses, city parks. Everyone I sat with was shocked and honored that I had shown up just to help. I kept telling them that I was the one who was honored to be of service. I confessed that I had thought for two years about helping somehow and had felt immobilized. I had considered Habitat for Humanity but was useless with a hammer. It wasn't until I met up with Janet through a mutual friend in September that I realized that my counseling and seminar skills might be beneficial. I think I was hooked when she told me a story that after she had evacuated, she was watching the news on TV and saw that patients were stuck in one of the local hospitals. Janet took it upon herself to hire a private helicopter to rescue those people from certain death. By the way, Janet has multiple sclerosis and uses a walker. If Janet could take responsibility to rescue strangers, certainly I could do something. After listening to people's stories, I came to understand that Katrina didn't cause all their problems, but she did manage to bring to the surface every underlying issue that had lain dormant. I learned that people had the same needs and opportunities for healing and personal growth everywhere. So during my weekend in New Orleans, I held my Enough is Enough seminar for some of Janet's friends and acquaintances at the Downtown W Hotel. The participants were so grateful that we did this with them. But as much as they appreciated the work, I suspect the real highlight of their day was this. In mid-afternoon while they were on a break, I ordered a couple of trays of cookies and chocolate truffles. When they walked back in the room and saw the treats, a couple of them burst into tears, taking my hands, whispering their thanks. So what can you do to help? Anything. Just show up. Bring cookies. Bring an open heart and an open mind. Be a good listener. Share whatever skills you possess. Someone will use them. You'll be scooped up quickly by outstretched loving arms. In New Orleans, there is great hardship, but there is also an abundance of hospitality. Here are just a few ideas. Call a public school and ask what they need. Kim Nance at James Weldon Johnson Elementary School is waiting to hear from mental health professionals and health professionals. Her number is 504 861 7718. That's 504-861-7718. Acupuncturists, chiropractors, dentists, massage therapists, they need all of that. The word will spread quickly that you're on your way. If you can't go to New Orleans, send textbooks or get one of your local schools to become a sister school. Buy gifts and holiday gifts from local merchants. Many of them have websites. Support Habitat for Humanity, which is helping to build a lovely enclave for displaced musicians there. Bring your children there for spring spring break or summer vacation so they have an opportunity to pitch in. Regardless of your religious beliefs, support the church organization still handing out food and providing shelter. And send this blog to everyone on your list. There's such power in numbers. Our politics and opinions about New Orleans' future don't matter. What matters is the care of each other's hearts and spirits, and that's easier to provide than what we've been taught to believe. This was my lesson from New Orleans. I'm going back. Care to join me? To ask me a question, respond to what you have just heard, or to contact me, please visit my website, www.stopenduring.com. You can also go to StopEnduring.com to order my popular self-help book, Enough is Enough, Stop Enduring and Start Living Your Extraordinary Life. You can read excerpts from it, watch my TV interviews, or set up a consultation or speaking engagement with me. I hope that this information helps you create your extraordinary life.